You found it. The no-nonsense, no-script podcast you've been waiting for. Real people on real issues. Welcome to Dynamic Independence. The home of logic, reason, and common sense. Let's do it. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. I'm Johnny Anderson. I'm joined today by Bruce Adams and Tavish. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Tavish, it's nice to have you back. How are you today, sir? Doing fairly well, sir. Appreciate it. Hope you guys are doing well as also. Doing fantastic. Thank you very much, Bruce. How are you today? Healthy and alive. Doing well. Safe. Yeah. It's fantastic. Do you have your mask on today while you're podcasting with us? No, I actually don't even know where my well, mask is. You're not is, being safe, are you? You're not being safe, are you? <laughs> as a matter of fact, we're going to nope, have to it's, ask it's, you... We're going to have to ask you to leave because uh, uh, because you're you're not admitting that you're safe here on the podcast with mm-hmm, us. So mm-hmm. we, we can't have you here today. Mm-hmm. So, so but, boy, thanks, I have an thanks. excuse. I'm, I'm drinking a beverage and eating food. So, well, can you know, can you can you just pull the mask to the side and then take the drink and then put it back? <laughs> Is that possible? <laughs> right. 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 Can, can you do, or, or better yet? Can you can you drink through the mask? Is that possible? Can you mm. can you just do that? I feel like I'd be wearing more tea than I'd be drinking, but yeah. Okay. I'll just cut well, a hole to fit a straw through. Yeah, just do the best you can with it, if you could, please. <laughs> I would uh, just just for our safety, right? It's not for you. It's for it's for everyone else. Just think of more than yourself, if you could, please. We would appreciate that. I take it you're not picking up on my facetious attitude. No. Oh, oh, I, I totally am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for your enthusiasm, Bruce. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. OK, uh, mm-hmm. let's uh, I tell you what, let's let's go and get started. So yesterday we did uh, 2030, part two of 2030. Uh, please go back. And check that out if you'd like. Uh, we're going to be doing part three when Marty gets back. He's going to be gone for a few days. He's taking care of some things, uh, but he will be back. Uh, I'm not sure if it's this weekend or first part of next week. I'm not sure. But uh, Bruce, you and I got some stuff lined up for this week and uh, possibly the weekend. I think the weekend we're talking about doing something on these Neuralink chips. So that ought to be yes. that'll be pretty good. So we're yeah. kind of putting some stuff together for that. But today we're just going to kind of do after we do a serious one, we just kind of we have to take a day to just kind of kick back and relax. But uh, today let's talk about the hurricane. Hurricane Laura, it's been named. It is now this was the two storms that have now merged into one. Is that correct? That's what's happened here. I don't know that they've merged uh, because one of them was a depression and the other one. Um, so one was positive and pressure and one was negative pressure, basically. Mm-hmm. Laura being the positive. Uh, I, I think the other one has more or less dissipated. It was it was a tropical storm and and dropped and, you know, basically, I think has run its course at this point. Laura's the second one to hit, right? It's the. Uh, yeah, well, no, that like this is going to this is due to hit. What do you mean? It's the second one to hit. Okay. Yes, it is. Uh, what I meant was, is the first one, Marco, right, is already hit and it's more or less dissipated. Now this oh, one is yes. coming in. It may have uh, taken on some of the the other storms' energy, possibly, but they were they were two different pressures. So I, I don't know if that was the case. However, yesterday this was a Category Two, and now Laura is a Category Four, just in that short of time. And they are saying that it's possible that it could, when it hits landfall, it could be a Category 5. That's what they're saying. But uh, they've shut down oil production in the Gulf of Mexico, uh, and they're preparing to um, to have those removed, uh, to have those uh, places evacuated, those platforms uh, evacuated. Now, they're also saying that 
let me see, a port city, uh, let me see, officials in Port Arthur, a city of 54,000 people, and similar-sized Galveston, Texas, ordered mandatory evacuations as this thing's starting to come up through the Gulf of Mexico. It's expected to bring at least, they're calling a 20-foot storm surge, possibly, up to a 20-foot storm surge. They're saying it could be anywhere between 10 and 20. And also, they've ordered... Over 600,000. Yesterday it was 200,000. Over 600,000 now to evacuate. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. This is almost like what they did in Florida a couple of years ago with, um, uh, what was it? I, I can't think which one it was, but uh, it was the one that came up through there. It was a Category 5 that kind of mm-hmm. skirted Cuba and came up into the state. Then they expected that to be terrible, and it ended up just like breaking a couple of windows and ripping a roof off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not really sure what's this. Uh, you know, it, it's... Category four, they're dangerous. I mean, high speeds. That that's the 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 real damage, though, is what you were saying with the the storm surge. That's where a lot of the real damage is. I mean, obviously, wind and everything is going to be some damage, and it can. But my understanding is, is that they have different building codes there, so they're supposed to be building things that are uh, capable of withstanding stronger winds. Either way, it's it's um pretty pretty dangerous deal and before anybody starts saying oh climate change climate change this is climate change actually when you look back in previous years we've had years back in what was it 18 something uh, i think was the first recorded we had 10 hurricanes in one year and then we've had multiple trends to where there's been 10 hurricanes now they're claiming this is the first time we've had two hurricanes in the gulf at the same time for the, this is the first time my understanding is this happened during the Great Depression once. So I don't know. Basically, what I'm trying to say is, is this isn't as unprecedented as the, the, the media is trying to make it out to be. Are you saying that this is not man-made climate change? Is that what you're kind of referring to here? Yeah, basically, I'm, I'm saying this is not man-made climate change. This is, um, you know, how that the big globe and the, the big orb that we have in the sky that that emits heat and light, you know, that thing um, uh-huh. that puts out a lot of energy into our atmosphere uh-huh. and that energy stirs up storms and that kind of thing going on along with other factors on the earth. Yeah. Um, I'm saying that does it more than our, uh, yeah. Interesting. Never would have guessed that one. Never would have guessed it. I believe Laura, which started out as Tropical Depression 13, has been hitting a lot of island land masses, building up strength in that, whereas Depression 14, which was the other name, Marco, I think it was, that pretty much stayed over water. So once it did hit land, it started fizzling out. Laura would be my bigger concern because by jumping landmass water, landmass water, it's maintaining its strength and kind of kept it going. And I think the one in Florida, wasn't that named Rita? Could have been. Rita's familiar. Uh, could, could have been. I can't remember. It was, what was it, like two years ago, three years ago now? I, I can't remember. The uh, one that hit uh, Puerto Rico really bad. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't think which I can't think what it was. The only thing I know is uh, here's another question, and I think I asked this last week, Bruce. Uh, Lord, this hurricane, Laura, is this Trump's fault? Yes, clearly it's Trump's. It fault. is okay. All right, just I'm, yes. I'm, yeah. I'm just wondering when that talking point's going to come out because I haven't seen it yet. Well, he hasn't done anything to prepare for this. See, so it's it's right. Trump's fault. Right. Any any death that happens, and you know, any power outages, any of that kind of damage that's done, it's Trump's fault because he hasn't done anything to prepare for this, or or he hasn't taken any kind of federal action to, um, uh, you know, evict these people from the at that area during this uh, the, this uh, extreme climate change mm-hmm. uh, event. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'd just like to say that's not the U.S. president's responsibility of any kind. 
Now, if he wants to render aid, then I'm sure that the governor of Texas, Mr. Greg Abbott, would be happy to receive that aid. If there is FEMA that's available, I'm sure that they would be happy to send supplies down there. And I do believe the last time when Hurricane, what was it, Harvey? When it hit Houston a couple of years back, I do believe that Trump himself was down there passing out food and blankets to people that actually lost everything they had. Now, I'm not going to be a cheerleader here. I'm just pointing out the obvious. I don't recall any other president in my lifetime anyway. I I could be wrong, but I don't recall any other president in my lifetime ever doing anything like that. But I'm just I digress. Don't personally, I don't expect them to. I am. What I expect from the president is for them to function like a CEO and make sure they have the right people doing, uh, you know, taking care of logistics, getting. Mm -hmm. I, I want them to make sure everything like the the overhead every uh, of everything like he has the 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 macro view of everything and is making sure everything's going and functioning properly i don't necessarily expect them to be on the ground personally um but anytime that um, uh, basically i'm i'm being the the dissenting voice and saying that I, I think it was a political stunt being there uh doing that i more expect it to be you know like i said a ceo Fair enough. Function. But still, but still, political stun or the not. The gesture is nice. Yes. Yeah, political stun or not, uh, he didn't have to do that, and he did. Right. So right. E- either way, I mean, the guy was out there loading trucks with, uh, with with a hard hat and gloves on, sweating, and the Secret Service is saying, Mr. President, you've got to stop this. You can't be out here doing this. And so, I mean, you can call that a political stun or not, but I mean, th- that's what the guy was doing. So I, I give him credit for that. Yeah. So even if, even if it was a political stunt, the thing is, is he still had he still had the wherewithal to do that. So whether it was all about his publicity or it was legitimately his heart to help people, uh, nonetheless, it was it was a good gesture, uh, nonetheless. So I applaud him for doing it. Um, honestly, where to next? Let's uh, let's jump over to China. Chaicoms are a little upset. They're, they're a little upset. Apparently, they're claiming that uh, a U-2 spy plane, which is... Did we determine that that was decommissioned uh, way back when? And apparently one um, flew over. No. no, it's still... So, yeah, they're still in use as far as I'm wow. aware. I, I okay. couldn't find anywhere that they were decommissioned. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm wondering if they're just using it because uh, continuing to upgrade them and use them because it's a... Everybody knows this is a spy plane. There's no... There's no weapons, you know, kind of kind of like a, I don't even know what you want to call it. Just just the the, the whole stereotypical thing. The, the thing the thing about the spy plane thing, I still feel like that was a almost like a taunt, if you will. We have satellites that have just as much resolution, if not better resolution than what a U2 has. I mean, we can see everything that China is doing from space. So I'm not I'm not really sure what 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 the point of flying a U2 to get photographs is uh it kind of eludes me on top of the fact that we have um uavs that are capable of flying for you know 20 48 hours something like that i mean it's it's a very long time that we can have them in the air i don't know why we aren't using something like that instead of uh a u2 but says here that uh beijing accused the u.s of sending a u2 spy plane into a no-fly zone to quote trespass on live fire exercises being conducted by china as you said it's a reconnaissance aircraft uh it went into the airspace beijing deemed off limits during drills 
by the PLA. The trespass severely affected China's normal exercises and training activities and violated the rules of behavior for air and maritime safety between China and the U.S. as well as relevant international practices. Tell me there's tell me that's not a political statement more than anything else. Okay. Uh, severely affected your normal exercises. How's a plane that's 70,000 feet in the air disrupting your normal exercises and training activities? How does that severely affect it? If that's, in, uh, that, I believe that's the altitude they fly at, or even 100,000. Yeah. Uh, in some 70,000, yeah. 70,000? Okay. It violated yeah, yeah. the rules of behavior for air and maritime safety between China and the United States. Okay. I didn't know anyone owned the skies. Do they? D- does anyone own well, the skies? Well, here's the uh, well, the thing is, is I believe they're in the, what was it? The, is it the South China Sea or whatever? South China Sea, is yeah, it, that's it? where they were. There, there's a bit of a contention in that area. Japan says this is our area. China says this is our area. So when China says you were flying in a no-fly zone and you were trespassing, my next question is, okay, you were in the South China Sea. What part of the sea were you in? Because you guys are fighting over who owns what, and China's trying to extend its borders. And if they're saying the U-2 was trespassing, and in reality, we were on the Japan side or international side, yeah, you, you have no accurate claims. So I'm, I'm skeptical. On top of that, uh, saying uh, with the U-2, I'm really skeptical that we still use U-2s for surveillance anyway, because we have stealth technology now. So I'm kind of like, wouldn't you be using a stealth aircraft to do surveillance so that you reduce the risk of them getting shot down? The The whole thing with the U-2 was they move so fast and it's so, such a high altitude that it makes it difficult for anti-air missiles to, to shoot them down. Well, stealth tech the, the stealth aircraft can fly at the same altitudes, so why, why aren't we using stealth tech? I, so this one, it, it seems really sketch to me, but yeah, what, what, what do I know? Tavish, retired career man in the, uh, the services. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? I do believe we have assets that have not been fully decommissioned. DSR-71 Blackbird. Most people thought that was out of service, and then it comes a few years ago. There's still one or two available to deploy. I believe why is because, yes, we have satellites. You know, they can picture golf ball on a golf course. If they catch a woman in a bikini and you know the geometry, you can measure her cleavage or her cup size. But those are in fixed trajectories. If you need something right away, U-2, SR-71, you can launch it and it can be over there in a relatively short period of time rather than the time-consuming process of changing a satellite's orbit, which uses up a finite amount of fuel that the satellite has. So I would not be surprised that we still have some that are serviceable and airworthy and are only used in issues of um, strategic importance, so on and so forth. And kind of like Bruce was saying, strategy should drive tactics. Now, in this case, China's been building up their islands, building up their bases, contested waters with Vietnam, Thailand, Philippines, Japan. Um, I forget the other countries, but all those people are claiming a slice of the pie. So it's not something that's clear cut, but China seems to be expanding and saying, hey, we're here now, it's ours. Whether it's airspace, um, rights of navigation, which is why the American Navy still goes through that area, claiming rights of uh, free navigation, uh, only because China seems to be pretty much staking a claim. uh, And in some cases, they're actually building islands to put their bases on, whether it's an air base for aircraft, uh, naval supply depots, whatever it might be. They are staking a claim, and... uh, it, it's it. You really got to keep an eye on because before someone knows it, they're going to wake up one morning and whoa! Oh, the Japanese get all the way over to our coastline. That's what they're doing, claiming territory. 
And if there's no territory, then they're building the territory, which to me seems a bit cost expensive. But when you have isn't a national this, plan and a national will. is Just a question. Isn't this kind of the, when you see uh, a country such as China that's developed themselves up to this point, when you see them start to expand out like this, that is that's a prelude to war traditionally, isn't it? Well, I consider it a hostile act. They can claim everything they want. But if you're expanding by the use of military forces, that's a hostile act to me, especially if you're in territory that's claimed by other jurisdictions. You know, it, basically, they're walking into town and kicking everybody out. Hey, it's ours now. Thank you. Bye bye. That's a hostile act. And with the U.S. possibly doing what you're suggesting, as in takes a little bit of time and, of course, resources expended to get a satellite moved over to be paying attention to that. Obviously, you would you would send off a reconnaissance plane to kind of keep an eye on that. And if that's indeed what they did, then, you know, China spots it, then they're going to use any cases as a a form of provocation at this point because they need to make it look like they are the non-aggressors. Isn't that kind of where we we think this might be going? That's what it seems to be. Like you were saying, it's it's more a political statement than it is anything else. But um, they're trying to justify their land grab. They're they're trying to form more land grabs um, and and trying to justify it. Uh, We already know that they're claiming countries as theirs um, when it's not. I mean, we've seen it with Hong Kong here recently. Hong Kong's not officially theirs. It's supposed to be functioning as its own country, essentially, until 2050. And they're coming in and taking it over and saying, okay, yep, no, treaty's over. We're, it's, uh, it's ours now. And they're, they're claiming like Taiwan and, you know, other places that, so yeah, it, that's what it feels like is, um, they're just mm-hmm. trying to expand. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of where we, uh, that's kind of where we figured it was going to go anyway. I mean, you, yeah. you get to a point where country develops themselves to where they're at, they start expanding and then it always, you know, it's, it's just, and traditionally and historically it leads to, it leads to conflict. And so that's, I think they're trying to continue to do what they're doing because with the land grabs and with them doing their actions in the South China Sea as it is now, just saying, yeah, we're taking that. Well, no, no, I'm sorry. You, you just, you can't just go in and do that. But that seems to be what they're doing. Uh, and they're not getting any pushbacks from these other organizations such as the UN. Why? Because, well, we know why, don't we? Mm-hmm. But moving right along here, let's, I tell you what, let's do riots and then we'll, we'll talk election because the riots are, okay, uh-huh. so uh, Seattle, right? Seattle, I, I got to give these people credit for innovation, but they, they just, they're just idiots at the end of the day. Uh, Seattle rioters used concrete to seal off police precinct doors in an effort to burn officers alive. Is this a peaceful protest? I would argue no. And I love how they say police began monitoring a protest that marched from Cal Anderson Park just after Monday at 9 p.m. The group made their way to the West Precinct, where some individuals began hurling objects at the building, causing minor damage and broken windows, as well as painting graffiti on the walls. A nearby coffee shop also sustained some damage as some people smashed the plate glass windows. Well, that's just fun, isn't it? Yeah, that's fun, which I'm being sarcastic. The group then made their way back to the East and continued to protest outside the East Precinct of the police department. Rioters climbed over a chain link fence and set fire next to the building. So, okay, yeah, it looks like they set it up against the concrete wall. Looks like they threw in a whole bunch of cardboard boxes and stuff like that on it. Demonstrators then used a substance suspected to be quick dry concrete to seal a door shut. Uh, And there's photos of it here. Uh, And I'm looking at it. And that's that looks like what it is. It's just they smeared some quick dry concrete on their idiots. Police moved in and began issuing commands for the crowd to disperse and took one person into custody for investigation of arson. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives is now assessing or assisting 
assisting in the investigation. One officer was injured during the course of the protest. I, I love how they're not calling it a riot in any of this. It's just a protest. Detectives are also investigating an arson at an office building in the 2900 block of the 4th Avenue of 4th Avenue South after someone threw multiple incendiary devices causing damage. It's unclear how this incident is tied to the protest. Unclear? You've got riots across the city. How in the name of God is that unclear? I'd imagine at this point you could lump them all into one, couldn't you? Because if you've got yeah. Group A over here that are trying to burn down... Excuse me. Let me let me put more context into this. You've got Group A over here that are, quote, protesting. They're setting a fire next to the precinct building itself, hoping that it will probably catch, which it doesn't because it's right up against a concrete wall, because you can't do anything with that. And then they seal the door shut. Excuse me. They attempt to seal the door shut with quick dry concrete because they're too inept to figure out that quick dry concrete sets in 24 hours and not 24 seconds. So <laughs> they like you couldn't make it up. So they do that in hour, hopes. By the way. Is it an hour? Is it an hour now? OK, yeah. I, quick, I thought concrete is uh, an hour. Yeah. Okay, I thought it was 24. My mistake. Okay, I guess time must have moved on. But fully um, fully set is 24, but to, fully to, set, for okay. it to harden, it's yeah, it's an hour. I got you. Okay, I got you. So they uh, they then go in, seal the try to seal the door shut, and then they try to set fire to the police station to burn the officers alive inside. Now explain to me, they arrest one person. One person's all they arrest. That's all they snatch up. Okay, I don't know how many times I can say this until it finally resonates. I understand the police are being told not to do anything. But at what point do you stop obeying these people that are turning a blind eye to it? The mayors, the city council people, the administrators, they, they don't care about law and order. You say, okay, well, I'm, I'm just following orders. Uh, but that what, what good is that doing you? What good is that doing the community? And I, I said I'm going to try and not be serious today. But when I look at this and, and I think to myself, every single person that was out there, I mean, if this is not an out of control, right, you could you could claim insurrection on this, but nothing's being done. It's like everyone's expecting law and order to be restored. Everyone's expecting the police, the National Guard to go out there and do what they need to do in order to restore law and order. And if you can't figure out what I'm saying, then I don't know what to tell you. Because nothing else is working. Nothing else seems to be getting the job done at this point. You'd think that if Biden wins or something, they're just going to go home. Are you serious? You can't be serious yeah. if you think that. You can't be serious if you think that. If Biden wins the election, right, and we're, we're going to get into the uh, election here in just a minute, but if he wins that election, you're not going to see a, an easing of these things like they were talking about at the DNC. Oh, it's going to get worse if Biden doesn't get elected. Oh, oh it's going to get worse. All right. It's going to get worse whether he gets elected or whether he doesn't get elected. I would imagine it's going to get far worse if he does get elected because it is going to be, I mean, the accelerator pedal is going to be pushed all the way to the floor and there's not going to be any way to stop it. But there's a radio host that is out in Seattle and he's actually calling these people what they are on his Twitter account. He's saying terrorists are setting fire to the East Precinct and politicians will say nothing. That's what these people are. They're terrorists. Do you know, I find it really interesting how we can deal with an out of control group like ISIS overseas. We can deal with that well enough, but we can't take care of this problem. We, we can't clean this up. These people are not even trained in that aspect. They're not even militarily trained. Okay, some of the top brass are. We can deal with them soon enough. But the ones that are out there in the street doing this kind of nonsense, we can't do anything to, to subdue this in a day. I mean, the task here seems clear. So I'm wondering, I'm looking at the at the do nothing Republicans, because obviously the Democrats I, through the entire DNC, I didn't see a single Democrat, not one 
Shameful. Absolutely shameful. I didn't see a single one come out and disavow any of this nonsense that's going on in the cities. None of them. That's shameful. Instead, what'd you get? You got victimology. That's all you got. Last night, Melania, the first lady, said in in her speech, disavowed the riots and said, you know, stop. And honestly, do we need to go over what terrorist is again, by the way? You know, the the definition of what a terrorist is. A person who uses unlawful force and intimidation, especially against civilians in the pursuit of political aims. Kind of cut and dry. That's pretty straightforward in what it is. Domestic terrorism. So and the thing is, too, are these protests connected? Riots, excuse me. Are these riots connected? You know, the ones where they were trying to cement in the the police and then burn them down to the ground. Well, when you have uh, riots saying defund the police, defund the police, and they're attacking police, and then you've also seen them try to burn other police precincts down, and then this one, they're trying to cement them in and burn them down to the ground. Yeah, it, it all sounds like it's connected to me. That they're they're pushing the same narrative. They're they're going for the same thing. So yeah, I, I would say they're they're connected personally. Again, I try to make the distinction between rioters, terrorists, and protesters. But if the protesters who are watching this do nothing, and I know we talked about this before, that's guilt by association to me. You, you see these people trying to burn down buildings, burn people, loot, so on and so forth, and you stand by and do nothing, you're guilt by association, pure and simple. But in terms of the tactics are their tactics driving their strategy or is their strategy driving their tactics? That would be my question. Are we seeing the same tactics being used across the country or does each region seem to have its own tactics? I guess I'm saying, is there a national command to this or is it just a bunch of regional groups acting out strategy and tactics? Well, I think that I can't answer. Yeah, I think you're, you're, yeah, it's it's kind of both because you do have national Mm -hmm. organization, but it's done at uh, the regional and the local levels. And I think that's kind of what we've, like the research you and I have done, Bruce, that's kind of what we've uncovered. And they're using- They're like cells. Yeah. Then they're using, here's the, here's the key part to it. They're using Facebook groups in order to communicate. And since Facebook has end-to-end encryption, they're not able to actually see what's in it. And so that's how they're staying in touch and that's how they're organizing. And uh, this is the problem. So you've got technology companies that are allowing them to operate and allowing them to uh, to organize and allowing them to coordinate. This is why when you first started to see the protests across the country, this is why they would be directed down certain streets. And down certain streets, you would have these giant piles of bricks that would just show up out of nowhere. And they would have gas cans full of fuel and empty bottles and rags so you could make Molotov cocktails because they would get orders and then all of a sudden they would go somewhere else. So this is how they're staying in touch. This is how they're coordinating. Also, if you look at what's happening in New York, you look at what's happening in Minneapolis. Now, if you look at what's happening in Wisconsin, Seattle, Portland, parts of Texas as well, and parts of um, what was it? uh, What was it? We heard the other day, Bruce, uh, Nashville. Is that where they're trying to burn the courthouse down in Nashville as well? In Tennessee? I believe, yeah, Asheville, yeah. If you look at all these different parts of the country and all these cities, they're all trying to do the same thing. They're all trying to burn the courthouses down because these groups, this uh, uh, Black Lives Matter and Antifa, what do they want to do? They want to abolish the police department. Okay, well, if you abolish the police department, then what do you need? Well, you don't need the police department. Okay, all right, well, then what do you need courts for? Okay, well, then the ultimate goal here is, well, then what do we need prisons for? So they're going to go right up the line. So they're going to burn down these institutions in the name of social justice. And that's the message we're seeing across the board. That's the agenda that they all seem to be following. So if you're asking, yes, if they're connected, I believe so, based on that. Well, just when I see the different reports from coast to coast and whatnot, it, it, it's eerily similar. 
how certain tactics keep popping up. And that's why I was curious, is strategy driving their tactics or are their tactics driving their strategy? That's what I'm not sure about. I do believe there's a couple of head honchos in national groups going, this is what we must do. And then who figures it out from there? So I, I do agree with you about their communications um, being directed, so on and so forth, repositioning of supplies, such as bricks, gas, whatnot. So to me, that implies a command strategy rather than a local tactical. I don't know if that makes sense. It does. So there is, based on our research that we've done so far, there is an over, like a, a command structure, right? So they're kind of giving logistics and and setting things up like uh like we were saying with the bricks and the the um uh resources for molotovs and whatnot they've been pre-placed now it's 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 possible that those could have been just done regionally however it's the same tactics across the board like everywhere in the u.s we're, we're seeing these kind of tactics the the other thing we were seeing is for example blm blm there's five people that are over blm and they all say they're marxists and they're pushing a general idea we see the corporation on their website and what they stand for and all that and then we also have antifa antifa has they function more of like a terrorist organization and have like cells in each location but they have an a, a command structure is still over them and we see organizations like the dsa that provides them with funding. Which it's funny because you, you mentioned the uh, you mentioned the DSA there, and we haven't seen or heard anything from that group in the middle of all this. Have you noticed that? That's just the gr- the group that's kind of now operating in the background. They came out, they showed their yeah. front in their in their national uh, convention, and then we haven't heard anything about them since. Which at that convention, and we covered that. We did a mm-hmm. we did a podcast on their convention and we covered that. And in there they voted, although it was a narrow margin, they did vote and it did pass at the DSA National Convention to foster those groups and fund those groups. Uh, Antifa, isn't that correct? Yeah. And that was that was uh, when Trump was discussing the idea of uh, labeling Antifa as a terrorist organization, because I, I remember in those meetings they were saying, well, you know, it's possible they get labeled a terrorist organization and that would label us, that would get us in trouble and so on and so forth. You know, that th- those are very real concerns uh, for them. And then they, as you said, they voted to fund them. So, Which, to uh, be fair, I'm I don't think they if, care. I don't think they care at this point. Yeah. So yes and no. Well, now I don't think they do care because the masks are coming off. Right. Um, right. It, and the Democrats, like so, the, the Democrat Party, they, they can't hide it anymore. They're trying. They're like they're desperately trying, but they can't hide it anymore. I feel sorry for the average Democrat. I do. I mean, my heart goes out to them because as GP talked about yesterday, they were talking about or he, he's, he mentioned about people that he knows. And I know people like this. I mean, for crying out loud, I, I've known Democrats my whole life. Democrat voters, mm-hmm. Democrat politicians. I voted for Democrats before and they weren't wound up lunatic crazies. They still believed in family. They believed in social programs. Yes. But whereas, you know, I, I never have. But that's a side issue. I mean, that we can disagree on that. But they weren't for this. If you vote Democrat now, you can't just vote based on, well, they're going to put forth social programs. No, you have to be all in with the loons or you're not a Democrat now. And as we see what's happening, the ones that are even moderate Democrats, they're pushed out of the way 
John F. Kennedy, right? John F. Kennedy, by any accounts measured by today's standards, by right now, by John F. Kennedy. And don't don't sit here and think, oh, well, you know, he was he was some Democrat. You know something? I have a picture of John F. Kennedy hanging on my wall right here next to me with the speech that he wrote at his inauguration in Bolton in that frame. So I, I believed in in the stuff that the guy was talking about, even if it was from a rhetorical standpoint, right? Even if it was just rhetoric, the speeches that that man gave were inspiring, even by today's standards. I mean, I wish I could get a Republican to talk like this guy, but he would be drummed out of not just the Democrat Party. He would be drummed out of the Republican Party. Someone like John F. Kennedy for today. What do you think, Tavish? He, you remember JFK. Yes, sir, I do. From your area. He's a Massachusetts guy. That's very true. But it, to me, it's a prime example of how the middle ground, the common ground is shrinking. Everything's becoming polarized. Kennedy could not be elected a Democrat. Reagan could not be elected as a Republican nowadays. That's how polarized it's become. The art of compromise is a dirty word now. People just, they, they can't agree to disagree. You know, it's got to be their way, their highway, polarization, isolation of viewpoints. People don't, aren't willing to listen. For example, you and I, Johnny, we've known each other for years. We don't see eye to eye, but we can agree to disagree and still be good friends. That's the art of compromise. And that's what I think we're sadly lacking nowadays. The ability to work with the other side, to at least hear each other. We may not get things done, but at least we're acknowledging each other's viewpoints. And each viewpoint has validity. That, I think, is sadly missing in today's society. I could be wrong. I'm an independent, so... What do I know? Well, I, I would I would argue you know quite a bit uh, as, as compared to uh, <laughs> to the average person out there. As you said, we've known each other for a long time. We've never really seen eye to eye on politics, but you know, at the end of the day, I don't really think we're all that different when it comes to certain things. I mean, well, say, God, um, country, family. Yeah, it, well, the Second Amendment too. By the way, I just like to throw that in there. I mean, that, it's kind of. I fully agree with you on that as well. Bruce, I, I feel bad, man. I'm sorry. I got on a I, I got on a tirade. I do apologize. Uh, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off, buddy. Uh, you cut me off. I don't even uh, I, I don't even know where I was. I'm trying to apologize here, Bruce. Don't 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 make me don't make me feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm trying not. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I, I legit don't remember uh, where 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 I was. We uh, or, or we no, got to talking we about uh, we were talking about the DSA and and them funding and I I kind of jumped oh, yeah. in there and and I I cut you off. And I'm sorry about that. No, as far as the DSA, you're right in saying we haven't heard anything more of them. I'm curious. With them funding uh, Antifa and Antifa now being a terrorist organization, are we going to go after the the DSA at all? Well, that was the fear, right? That, that was the fear of of them having that mm -hmm. organization associated with uh, Antifa, you know, the DSA. They were saying, well, wait a minute, if we do this and we actually I think we even caught that on the podcast. We had the audio of that and we played it, I believe. Yeah, I so, yeah. And they said, well, they voted to, to do that. Actually, that was before. They were trying to, I guess, in their own way, I guess you could almost call it a, uh, a filibuster. They were That's what they were trying to do. And mm -hmm. they were saying, wait a minute, we probably shouldn't do this because if that's a domestic terrorist organization, then that's going to put the spotlight on us. Well, yeah. And, and everything about socialist parties, be it in the United States or anywhere else, it doesn't matter. Everything about socialist parties is to do most of their work concealed. So th they have to have a little bit of operations above ground, but a lot of it has to be done underground. But they're, even though they're two distinct operating systems, they work together on certain things. And the less attention that they have on themselves, the better, which right now 
right now with Antifa, to be fair, the way that Antifa is behaving, it's keeping the spotlight off of the DSA. I bet you if you were to ask the average person out there, if you say, hey, do you know who Antifa is? Of course, people are going to know that because it's on, you know, it's on social media. It's in news headlines and things like that. So people know that. But if you were to ask, hey, uh, what do you think of the DSA? People wouldn't even know who that is largely, I don't think. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, honestly, if you if all you take in is the the left wing media, then you're actually going to believe that Antifa is a drummed up fake organization that the the right conspiracy theorists have myth. created. That's a yeah, myth. It's a myth. Uh, and and if you're listening to the left wing, that's uh, that's that's what you're going to believe. And, and the fact that they're actually a terrorist organization, and uh, as you said. They probably don't even know what the Democratic Socialists of America, they probably don't even know what that group is uh, or that we even had that group. Uh, to be honest, I didn't even realize that we had a, a socialist organization in, in the U.S., one that was officially, um, you know, recognized. Yeah, yeah. An, an official, uh, which I, I'd be honest with you, I don't even know if could you, could you even really call them. Could you, I mean, could you call them socialists? I mean, when you got people up there saying stuff like this. Point of personal privilege. Uh huh. Yeah, go Please ahead. do not use gendered language to to address everyone. Yeah. See, I mean, when you have people up there <laughs> talking like that, then how can you take them seriously, right? It's very difficult to try and take them seriously. So if you say, okay, that kind of stuff came from the Democrat. And by the way, that was a that was a delegate from uh, the Democratic Socialists of America who said that. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if you have something like that in the topsy-turvy world, you would think, all right, who's going to take these people seriously? But what did I say in that podcast? What did I say? I said, do not, under any circumstances, do not sleep on these people. Don't do it. Their membership numbers are somewhere in the neighborhood of around 20,000, if I'm not mistaken. 20,000. And you think, okay, well, that's not that big of a deal. It's only 20,000 people. What can 20,000 people do in a country of 350 million, right? Well... What did 1,200 people do to the largest nation on Earth, landmass-wise, back in 1919? What happened? We refer to it as the Bolshevik Revolution. What did you say, Savage? That's what I thought. Yeah. So toppled the Tsar. And that's what it was. Yeah, you, you toppled the Tsar. And, it, and really, I mean, I, I've studied the Bolshevik Revolution, and technically, it's, it wasn't even a revolution. It, it wasn't even a revolution. It was 1,200 people took over two towns and shot three people. Like, that's all it was. That's not a revolution. But it was what came after that, the uh, the horrible outcomes of that. And so with 20,000 people, right? And you like, again, as I say, 20,000 people, if the Bolsheviks had had 20,000 people back in uh, what was considered to be Tsarist Russia at the time, they would have had a lot more success than what they did. And what they did was bad enough, putting the Russian people through 80 years of abject hell. So imagine what 20,000 can do, especially with this day and age with this technology. And you see the result of it, don't you? Your neighborhoods, your suburbs come into a suburb near you, uh, which what are they doing? They're out there in the suburbs now, two o'clock in the morning with guillotines out there in the streets. You want your kids around that? They're burning police headquarters down. Burning police precincts down. They're burning businesses down. They're looting. They're burning car dealerships down. Car dealerships. I heard about a car dealership in Wisconsin. Wasn't it, Bruce? It was, it was in Wisconsin. The dealership had a BLM banner up on the dealership. And yeah. what did they do? They burned every car on the lot. I think that was Kenosha, Wisconsin, wasn't it? It was. It was. So what does capitulating get you? Answer nothing. It gets you nothing. The mobs always come for you. And when they do come for you, and they will, as they always do, they'll get to everybody. When they do, do you know what happens after that? 
they turn on themselves because they're not revolutionary enough, right? They're counter-revolutionaries. The ones in there, it just gets more and more crazy and it gets more and more out of control. If you notice now, what was his name? Uh, the guy that spoke at the uh, the RNC, and we'll do it. We'll get into the RNC here real quick. The RNC, Bruce, what was the guy's name? It was a Democrat, African American Democrat from yes. Georgia, Vernon uh, um, Jones. Vernon Jones, that sound right? From sounds, uh, Georgia, sounds about right. Let's see. It was. Uh, let me see. I'm, I'm, I'm Basically, okay. While you're pulling that, he's Vernon a Democrat. Jones. He's at, Vernon Jones. He is a Democrat, sitting member of Congress, African American, and. He's come out publicly and endorsed Trump. Now, what was asked of him by the Democrat Party in the House? You need to resign. They told him immediately he had to resign. He said it in a speech at the RNC, which was a great speech, by the way. It was fantastic. I thought it was very inspiring. The man really told it how it is. And I want to know how much attention was paid to it by the mainstream media. How much attention was paid to it? How much did anyone actually listen to what the man had to say? But see, he's not revolutionary enough. He's not with the program. He's not going along with the uh, the, the visceral hatred of, of Donald Trump. So he endorses Trump. He says, wait a minute, this is more in line with what I believe with. It doesn't mean that he's a Republican. It just means that here's a guy who's standing up for our country. Here's a guy who's standing up for American values. Here's a guy who's standing up for American jobs and American families. Isn't that what we're supposed to be about, regardless of your political uh, your political party? Wait a minute. We, I mean, that's the point of a constitutional republic. It doesn't mean you're against the nation. It means we can disagree on certain things, but the underlying aspects of what makes us as a nation for our system of checks and balances, our constitution, we don't mess with that. We all believe in family. We all believe in our institutions. We all believe in American jobs, American security, American freedom, American families, education, health care, all that stuff. Right. We believe in all that. Well, we're supposed to. And this man is coming out saying, well, wait a minute. Aren't we supposed to believe in all? Aren't we all supposed to believe in all this stuff? I don't see my party doing that. I I don't see anyone in in my party doing that. I don't see anyone in, in the Democrat Party doing that. Technically, I really don't see too many in the Republican Party doing it either, except for a few. But that, we're not going to argue party politics. But this man comes out and, and makes a stand with the president because he says that he's supporting ideas in his campaign platform that he actually believes in. And he's shunned for that. He's shunned for that. He's ridiculed in the media. Explain to me how that looks in, in the mainstream. How, how does that fit? They're ridiculing this poor man. They're coming out and saying that he should resign. They're telling him that he should uh, get drummed out of the party. He's a he's a, quote, person of color in uh, in their eyes. Right. In the Democrat Party eyes, because that's the term they use all the time. I look at him as an American. Right. We're all Americans at the end of the day, except, of course, if you're a socialist, then you're not an American because they don't believe in it. But if someone comes out and believes in American values and believes in our way, especially in today's identity politics, well, then what does that say about that that organization? What does that say about him? Governor Kasich, when he spoke for the DNC, I've heard Republicans bad-mouthing him, so on and so forth. It's like I was saying before, we can all believe in the same end goals. We might disagree or differ on the approach to get there, but we have core values and beliefs that we can all take advantage of, take belief in. And I think that's where it's getting lost in this polarization. We've got to get people back together again, work together, plot together, think together. To me, it's just we get so divisive that it becomes who can throw the most mud at the wall and see what sticks. And that's where I think our politics have have gotten to at this point. It's just so divisive. So everyone's talking over each other rather than to each other. I I have to agree. How is that tolerant? How is that accepting? Right. Because that that was supposed to be the Democrat Party 
stance, right? Is they're they're tolerant and accepting, mm-hmm. and how how is that being tolerant and accepting when you know the 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 things that he was talking about and and believes in that that's kind of the general American public, like that's what that's kind of an American thing. We 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 have similar values and. When when your party stops believing in those values, uh, at least outwardly, uh, you know, then I, I guess you have to switch parties. But I, I see with him, and I know we've we've discussed it yesterday. I, I understand the 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 fact of Democrats wanting to stay Democrat because typically in their minds, that's always been the party of acceptance. You know, it's always of uh, tolerance of you know as, as we talk with the the social programs and whatnot. They they believe in those things, whereas typically Republicans have been against social programs that have been more for you know community led programs or or charities um, taking up the slack, whereas government shouldn't be doing that. In the end. I, I really can we just can we just get away with from politics and get away from uh, from the party system? I, I would I would rather all of that to be gone and and just we're we're all Americans here. We want the best for our nation, our people. Uh, why do why do we have to have all this bickering and fighting? It, it's it's not helping anyone other than politicians line their pockets with uh, with money, as as we've seen with Biden and um, Ukraine and China and. Latvia and was it was it was it Jamaica or I forget what the other country was that Biden had his brother I'm wanting to say the the construction company uh, but heard anyway about that, that, that that's a that one so basically the the gist of it was there was some construction deals that were done after disaster or something or to help build up economy I don't remember the whole gist of it but basically uh, there was some contracts given out and the contra- contracting company that was hired was Biden's family, Joe Biden's family, and mm. they made millions of dollars doing this construction work. Um, mm. And that happened three times, I believe, in different countries. So, you know, it, it's not concerning at all, uh, the self-enrichment that's been going on or, or family enrichment in this case. Okay, Bruce, make a hiring, note. having, yeah. Mm-hmm. Bruce, yeah. make a note. Let, let's look at the, uh, the Biden Cancer Foundation. Let, let's look at that. Uh, let, let's let's take a look at that mm-hmm. because there was somewhere in the neighborhood of about five million dollars that uh, just kind of poof disappeared. Um, <laughs> let's um, yeah let's, yeah let's let's look at that and let's talk about that uh, as the week progresses because I between that construction company and that cancer foundation let's see what we can dig up on that and we'll we'll talk on that uh, later on this week. But uh, keeping with the RNC here. Is there anybody else? I mean, I, I looked at what was the Cuban guy's name? We were talking about it just a little bit ago. What was the Cuban guy's name? Alvarez? Is it, is it Alvar- Alvarez? I can't think what the guy's name was. Cuban speaker. Let's see here. Maximo Alvarez. Maximo Alvarez. That guy. Okay. For anybody that hasn't seen it yet, I would highly recommend to go back and to listen to Maximo Alvarez. Listen to his speech that he gave. He was born in Cuba, but he immigrated to America. And I tell you what, I this is uh, this is just part of his speech. Uh, this is a, this is a seven minute speech, and I advise you to, to please go and listen to the whole thing. But due to time constraints, we don't have that much time. Uh, but I, I wanted to play just a little bit of it here. I thought that this was one of the one of the best speeches that I've heard. Uh, and I tell you something, I I personally have read about the revolution in Cuba. Uh, Castro's uh, communist revolution in Cuba. And you know what this man is saying about the revolution in Cuba is absolutely spot on. It's true. And what's happening in the United States right now 
is also this is what's happening. And people thought, okay, this is going to come in the form of uh, a military uniform. It's not. It's not. This is what is happening right in front of us. And so I advise you to pay very close attention to what this man has to say. I may be a Cuban born, but I am 100% American. This is the greatest country in the world. And I said this before. If I gave away everything that I have today, it would not equal 1% of what I was given when I came to this great country of ours. The gift of freedom. Right now, it is up to us to decide our fate and to choose freedom over oppression. President Trump, he's fighting the forces of anarchy and communism. And I know he will continue to do just that. And what about his opponent and the rest of the DC swamp? I have no doubt they will hand the country over to those dangerous forces. You and I will decide. And here's what I've decided. My decision is very easy. I choose President Trump because I choose America. I choose freedom. I still hear my dad. There is no other place to go. Thank you. I may the good Lord bless America. That kind of speaks for itself, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I I love hearing immigrants that came here. I, I love hearing their every everyone that I've talked to that has immigrated here or have heard speak. That's what they have in their heart. I think we get complacent because we were born here. We don't know anything else. But for the immigrants from the different countries, the different environments they come from, it's a vision. Call it the shining city on the hill, if you wish, uh, whatever you want. But for them, it, it's that shining star. You know, one of the uh, one of the things that I've always said, and I, I've I've studied socialism in general, right? I, whether it comes from the right or left, it, it doesn't matter. Whether you want to talk about fascism, you want to talk about communism, it's all socialism, all of it, every last bit of it. Every bit of socialism is derived from Marxism. Every last bit of it. I don't care what you sit there and you tell me, uh, and I don't care if you if you say, oh, well, yeah, there's fascists or those those communists. Give me a break. Okay, you can preach that to somebody that doesn't know the difference. Okay, I do, and anyone that studied it knows the difference. That only plays to the uh, the truly stupid out there that gets sucked in by that um, by that ideology, that sick ideology. It's a death cult. It's a death cult, and it has wrecked nations in Central and South America to to the tune of uh, of millions of people. That ideology, socialism in general, collectivism collectivism has killed a hundred million people in the last century alone that we know of, that we know of. How on earth people cannot see this is is beyond me. I, I really can't understand it. But we did a podcast on it a while ago. It was called The Structure of Socialism. I would advise you very, very seriously to go back and listen to it and listen to what we talked about when it comes to how these organizations structure themselves. The United States, as I stated in that podcast, has been intellectually disarmed. Look what in the hell they've done to our educational institutions. Look what they're doing to our churches. Look what they're doing to the family. The, these are institutions that keep society together, and they've undermined every one of them. 
That's precisely what this man, this American man, is standing there warning people about. And his words, his his words, the whole speech was was just it was so much better. And I, I don't do it justice by playing just a couple of minutes of it there, uh, where he talks about the uh, where he talks about uh, what happened in Cuba. But what he said there at the end, he says he remembers his dad. He said, "There's nowhere else to go. There, there is nowhere else to go. America's it. That's it." This is why we've always had the biggest target painted on our back. Everything you're seeing now, all of it, all of it's been turned on to the U.S. and the U.K. to an extent. Everything's been turned on to it. Oh, the Chinese have it under control. Oh, those Europeans, they've got it under control for the most part, right? All those Canadians are doing fine. No, no mention of Mexico, but guess what? On the world stage, oh, America sucks. That, that's the message that's being portrayed. And while we're paying attention to what's going on over here on the left hand with all these riots in the streets and these these degenerates and these losers and these know nothings, we've got a bigger group of losers on the right hand side of things that are looking to grab control on it. Where he says that there's nowhere else to go. There is nowhere else to go. We created a country that put tyrants out of business. That's what we do. We're Americans. That's that's what we do. That's what we stand for. I don't care where you are. I don't care if you're an American that's in Japan. I don't care if you're an American that's in Australia. I don't care if you're on mainland Europe where I'm at. I don't care if you're in the continental United States itself. By God, that's who we are. And that's what we stand for. I mean, all of our boys, all these men that that, that fought in World War II, the most recent mass conflict in our history, the ones that went on to Normandy Beach, you know, I mean, my, my own family members were 16 years old, left school to join up and, and to go and to fight. Whether it was in the Pacific or whether it was in Europe, the hell did they do it for? For this? For, for these people? The ones that are out there that are trying to burn society to the ground? The ones that are in political offices that are turning a blind eye to it? These people are not to be revered. These people are a disgrace. I'm ashamed of them. What this man is saying, this, this Maximo Alvarez, what this man is saying, if this does not hit you to your core, if this doesn't wake you up, I'm not sure what will. As Bruce said, he loves hearing immigrants come over and, and talk about that they've received since they've been in the country. And the man says if he if he could give everything that he owns, he wouldn't be able to give back one percent of what the country's given him. It's the land of opportunity. The people where I'm at, I talk to non-citizens every day. I've mentioned this before, and I, I, I'll say it again because I don't think it resonates because we grow up in that, like you said, Tavish. And it's 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 so prevalent to, to this is people tell me that that America is the land of opportunity. Why? Because you can do anything you want to do, but you have to do it. No one's going to do it for you. That's the point of America. You can be whatever you want. You can't be whatever you want in other parts of the world. Believe me. And other people that have been on here that have been around the world, you cannot. So we take all these things for granted and we've been intellectually disarmed. We've been morally disarmed. We've been uh, spiritually disarmed in all the things that mattered. Right. We, we've been economically disarmed to the, to a great extent. Look what's happened to us. And so this election, I, I don't like either choice. I'll be honest. I, I don't like either choice. But there is only one choice. There's only one. If you're an American, there's only one choice. That's it. I, I don't know of any other way to put it. I don't know of any other way to put it. Because as Mr. Alvarez said, there's nowhere else to go. I hope this is hyperbolic. I, I really do hope this is hyperbolic. But the, this is this is kind of the feeling I have with with, with kind of the, the, the nut jobs that we have right now that we're seeing um, rioting in the streets and, and the how the Democratic Party has become so socialist Marxist and their leanings it feels like this is this is the 
this is going to make or break us, uh, this election. And what it feels like is if we don't get Trump in again, and I'm, I'm in agreement, I don't really like, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of Trump. I really am not. He's done some good things for the country. He's done some bad things for the country. And he comes across as, well, I'll be nice and say a troll. That said, if we don't reelect him, it feels like this is going to be the end. And I don't mean the end as in like America's done. Like I, I mean the end of the Western world as we know it. I, it feels like if Marxists take root and America does become a socialist nation, we're going to be pretty bad and dark. And I'm concerned what this will do to the world economy. I'm concerned that it won't uh, like collapse the entire world's com- uh, economy. And I'm, I'm concerned that it you won't start seeing authoritarian nonsense start cropping up across the world as we've talked with the 2030 uh the agenda 2030 stuff and all the other nonsense that's been going on we're ripe for them to try to come in and grab control and uh, it's really it's really concerning just a quick one about china they really haven't projected their power until they became a true blue water navy for years they had a brown water navy at best but now that they're able to project their power over distance Watch out for them. Between their political initiatives, uh, the South China Sea with the militarization of it, watch out for the Chinese. We're going to have to uh, call it quits tonight. So, Tavish, thanks for coming in today. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, you're As always, man, you're, you're welcome back here anytime. Love getting your uh, perspective on things. For those of you who have not, you would like to, please do give us a follow on the social media platform of Parlor. Love getting all your feedback, your likes, your echoes, your upvotes, your comments, uh, all the above. You can follow me over there at Anderson 3 You can follow Marty at Marty Foster. Also, if you'd like to reach out to us and you don't want to reach out to us on social media, you can drop us a line anytime you like via email at tips at dynamicindependence.com. We would humbly ask you to please pass this along to friends and family. Uh, we're looking to grow our audience here as much as possible. And we do that also through your loyal listenership as well. And by you telling people and by us getting a chance to uh, to resonate with others and promote healthy conversations in people's circles. We would really hope to uh, to get that opportunity with people, especially now, because like-minded people are getting harder and harder to come by. So uh, if you could pass this along to friends and family and known associates, we would really appreciate that. Also, if you rate podcasts, we would humbly ask you to please hop over to Apple Podcasts or any podcast where you have a rating system and drop us a rating. If you like what you're hearing, five stars would be a plus. Thank you very much. Bruce, Tavish, thank you guys for your time tonight. And from all of us here, wherever you are in the world, we thank you for listening because it's all of you that listen that make this all possible. We love you and we love freedom and independence. And together, we'll continue to fight for those in the marketplace of ideas. So we'll see all of you tomorrow.